Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpin' Radio. This week, we chatted about a major new development with our aldermen, the science of sleep, and how a new cannabis ordinance is leaving black Chicago behind. All this, plus the new season of Size Matters, the Trump Diaries, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for the week of November 29th, 2019. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. John and Jamie chatted with our alderman, Patrick Thompson. Pat discussed the groundbreaking on the $23 million Remova Theater restoration project, what that means for a neighborhood seeing rapid change, and, of course, the Trekker Memorial Roundabout. Radio Free with John Daly airs every Tuesday, drive time. Hey, joining us right now is uh, is the alderman. Alderman Patrick Thompson, welcome. How you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? I'm great. We were I'm just great. talking about the prospects of the White Sox. Oh, I think it's going to be exciting next year, yeah. you know. Um, we got a good catcher. Um, the got pitching, a great catcher. Great catcher. Uh, the pitching is going to be the, the key. Uh, yeah. Some of these guys coming off of some surgeries. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be exciting. It's uh, You know, it was funny. I, about uh, a month ago, I uh, ran into one of the folks from the Sox who handles security. And I saw him down at City Hall. And uh, he came up and he was so excited. He wanted to talk about uh, the security plan and what they're working on with traffic because they're expecting big crowds next year, which I thought was really optimistic. Great. It was great. Yeah. Uh, and I loved it. Maybe a little uh, too optimistic, but, uh, you know, and then they have a couple pickups and yeah. we'll see what happens. So. Yeah, of course, they're in for Zach Wheeler, I guess, right now from the Mets, and he's a hell of a pitcher. If they get Kopech back, I mean, of course, when, when Kopech picked before he had the surgery, I mean, he was selling the place out. Yeah. Which was remarkable. Yeah. So, uh, you know, speaking as a, a long-suffering Sox fan, sellout and Sox don't usually go together. So, No, right, right. So. Their good season start is a quiet ride. And it's always when people are not necessarily big contract folks, but when you find people who are hungry and uh, and looking for, uh, you know, contract in two or three years. And, and the in 2005, Anthony Scalise and I were in Rome for the Pope's funeral, so – I'm not wishing any ill will to the Pope, but I, I might skip this year. You might skip and go to the end. Hey, I mean, where would you rather be? Would you rather be in Los Angeles, California, you know, battling wildfires, or would you rather be here in the best part of Chicago in Bridgeport? I mean, come on. It's a no-brainer for some of these guys. Yeah. That's a new uh, T-shirt, maybe. Bridgeport, no wildfires. That's right. No wildfires. <laughs> no wildfires. <laughs> Certainly something we could send to Joe Madden, right? Um Alderman, it's great to have you. And, you know, one of the things we want to talk to you about today is, I think, a, a neighborhood transforming project mm-hmm. that is going on. Um, it, two neighborhood transforming projects, in fact, that you've got going on. Uh, and, of course, I'm speaking about the roundabout that you put in at Bonfield yeah, and Lyman, which is I have to take my hat off to you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. When are we going to rename that as the Trekker Memorial Roundabout? <laughs> because, you know, that is on my street. I believe I, I brought yeah. this up to you a couple mm-hmm. years ago, the, my, my lust for a roundabout. Yes. And the fact that it went in, you know, I'm, I'm being a little archer, but the, the truth yeah. is, uh, Pat, you, you've really overseen a period of transformation here in Bridgeport from, you know, just looking outside our studio, when you're here on Morgan Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of details that I think maybe people don't necessarily – Kind of put all together. Mm-hmm. It's things though from from roundabouts on side streets. When you have side streets near schools that are are having some traffic issues, it's changing the traffic pattern on Morgan and, and getting new street lights in for safety, uh, and and condensing some of the streets so that uh, we also take down some of the uh, more fleet-footed uh, drivers in our neighborhood. And then you've got a major development uh, that was just announced last week uh, at the Ramova Theater, which is something that neighborhood residents for 
ever since I've been in the neighborhood, and I think it's coming on 25 years now, have been have been looking forward to. Most people that I know, uh, probably with, with exceptions of you guys in the room, never actually saw anything at the Remova Theater because it closed so long ago. Mm-hmm. This is a neighborhood, possibly a neighborhood transforming project that we've been able yeah. to bring home. Tell us a little bit about what's going on, what you think the impact is going to be, and and how were you able to get this over the line? Because this is very impressive. Sure. So, and a couple of things. First, we'll start, um, you know, being a Scotsman, I know you like the roundabouts. I do. I do. It makes you, you feel much more at home. It does. Uh, but uh, all kidding aside, you know, that uh, that's something I, I'm real proud of, not only that, but the other infrastructures you mentioned, Morgan Street and, and other streets, whether it be street resurfacings or, yep. um, you know, we've done other co- traffic quieting measures. We've got other issues or other projects that will be coming up now. Um, and, and that's, uh, we try to listen, um, you know. We've had discussions in the past. I've had discussions with other neighbors, and um, whether it be the uh, next to the Boys and Girls Club at 34th Street, where we opened up that street, yep. uh, that was concerns from neighbors uh, with Emerald being backed up with the kids loading and unloading from the Valentine Boys and Girls Club, which as soon as we get the signs up, we'll be able to do all of that loading for traffic and safety. Um, we try to listen, and, and we try to do the infrastructure each year, the alderman, um, and today, by the way, we, we just passed our budget. Congratulations, yeah. Congratulations on Thank that. You. Yep. Thank you. Uh, and we can talk about that in a few minutes. But um, as part of the budget, the aldermanic menu uh, allows us, uh, allocates a little over a million dollars. It's a million three of infrastructure projects. And uh, we gather the uh, suggestions from various folks throughout the uh, community. And then we try to prioritize it. I sit down with Commissioner Daly and and we look at the entire ward and we try to do it by need as well as touching every corner of the communities uh, to make sure that people are seeing their investment, trying to help and improve sort of the quality of life issues, which um, at the end of the day, that's I think what a lot of the municipal uh, work is, is a lot of these quality of life issues. Um, I heard it loud and clear when I was running uh, initially in 2015 and started in 2014 um, about public safety is the number one issue. Number two is schools. And then three are these quality of life issues that we're trying to invest in. We have a great community. It's an older community. We've seen uh, infrastructure that over the years has, has lived its life and now we're reinvesting and we're seeing people um, taking that and, and investing in their homes and, and remodeling and renovating. So I think it helps all over. Um, when it comes to Halston Street and that project, which is um, really exciting, I was just talking to, to Pat Butler from the Gazette um, on the way down here, and I said, you know, I, I've done a lot of community meetings, and before that as a lawyer, uh, being in a lot, that was the first meeting, I think, where 100% of the people in the crowd <laughs> were supportive of the project. Uh-huh. I mean, people had certain questions on details and and as that becomes available you know we're going to provide that we already have the renderings and everything up on our website and so people can look and see um but i i do think because uh not only is it the 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 theater but then the commercial piece in front and then to broker that deal because i knew we were going to need parking across the street it's not just a one-off sort of deal but it's that entire 35th in halstead which then will spill over to, you know, 34th and Halsted, some of the other restaurants, 
Wings and Rings and Mitchell's, Bernice's, all those places will also, I think, see an uptick in business as people come in. Um, You know, we started talking about the Sox when we sat down, and, you know, if they start drawing the crowds, those folks will come over this way and come over as people already do down the street at Maria's and the other establishments after a game. And that's why we, you know, not only we love the Sox and we, we love to go listen to music, but it's also selfishly for me, it's just an economic catalyst to get people here so they'll go elsewhere and that'll help the development. But I do think it is a, you know, a generational, it's a, you know, it's been closed since the eighties. And uh, I think you're right. This is something that can be huge. It'll be terrific, not only um, on that block, but for the community, for schools that will be able, and we're working on our, um, benefit agreement with the community benefit agreement which we always do on every big development but um working to uh to work with our schools uh, community groups to be able to utilize that facility uh for plays and events and meetings so i think it'll be really uh really neat and i think to to keep connected to the old but change with the newer look and feel uh will be fantastic i'm really excited on that you know, you talked about the the meeting. You, there was a public meeting last Tuesday. Um, I was in attendance. It, I, I started counting. There was. It seemed like just in the back. I I, I got to two fifty and I stopped. Um, but you know, you talked about people being very uh, supportive. It seemed to be clear in that meeting that you had an awful lot of thought about um, potentially. Uh, you know, I'm curious. Did you look at other developments of that size? Did you think about, or just what you've heard in the community, or a combination of all of those things? What was the, what was your process when you kind of put started hearing that the these folks wanted to do this? Yeah, well, first um, I'll do my best. Trump. That was the largest crowd crowd ever for a community <laughs> meeting anywhere in the world. No, I'm just kidding. It was it was with the biggest. I think the biggest community meeting that I've had uh, as alderman uh, for sure. And what was neat is you had uh, newer folks who've just recently moved here you've had you know uh older folks uh who are contemporaries of my parents and and then their kids so it was a, it was a great mix of uh, everyone that was all enthused for different purposes as as part of this redevelopment it, as as we discussed it's also the restaurant and um th- that'll be open seven days a week for everyone to, to patronize and and so we'll get a new restaurant out of it too in addition to the weekends when they have the the concerts and plays and events um having been through a few of these meetings and um having been i think my experience also as uh, as a lawyer doing these um oftentimes you'll see a, a community meeting and it'll be announced and might be a little bit premature and sometimes the deal doesn't happen um, you know, deals are each real estate development deal is unique, and uh, I didn't want to do that. And so I had been working for about two and a half years with Tyler and, and with his group, uh, and I wanted to make sure it was a little bit further along. Uh, they had been negotiating with DPD and um, with the city. We've been working on uh, sort of the, the financial piece of that, and, and they've been. I also pressed them to go out and make sure they had their equity piece and uh, have their financing more lined up than uh, just making an announcement. And so uh, I, I think it's such a big deal. 
uh, as that phrase goes, there's only one first impression. So we wanted to make sure we were really prepared. We answered the question. We were thoughtful about it. I knew security would be a concern. Um, and I, I wanted to make sure it was real. And so we took a little bit longer. I know some groups wanted to talk to us ahead of time and beforehand, but it just wasn't ready until uh, we came out last week. So it was, it, was, it was good. I thought, you know, Tyler and his group were very thorough. The, the architect uh, is, is excellent. He was at a larger firm when that started, and he spun off on his own. And so now this is his sort of signature project, so we know it'll be hands-on. And then working with a company of McHugh's caliber, mm-hmm. uh, they're top-rate firm and so uh, the numbers that I know are pretty firm um, and now it's uh, sort of the next phase which is uh, hopefully we'll introduce this uh, on December 18th at City Council and then it'll go to the uh, plan commission because it'll be done as a plan development and uh, there'll be a public meeting uh, for the plan commission in January um, in February I think it'll probably go to CDC uh which is another public meeting. People have an opportunity. Those will be at City Hall. And then the Committee on Zoning, probably in March when it gets done. And so that's what we're uh, hopefully uh, working at. That normally takes, that process normally is 9 to 12 months, but we've done like nine months of work before we sort of came out of the box. So hopefully it'll all be done in uh, by March. <laughs> Smith chatted with Anton Seals about the new cannabis ordinance and how blacks in Chicago have been left behind. Seals discussed the sales zones and how infrastructure is desperately needed in underserved communities. News from the service entrance airs every Thursday at 2 p.m. Anton Seals Jr. is on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Good to see you. You too, man. I have so many questions to ask you once I turn the mic off, but while I got the mic on, I have questions as well. Um, You reached out and I was going to reach out to cuz I had a whole I had a whole weed plan for 2000 I mean for 2019 that's good I had a whole plan I had a whole weed plan but um I wanted to make sure that you were on the show today um because there have been a lot of misconceptions and a lot of um misinformation surrounding minorities being able to get in the lottery to get enough balls in the lottery to actually take an opportunity to one change a bunch of people's lives and to be in the the mix in terms of the dispensaries that are all going to open up soon here in illinois here it is here's the platform there's a mic i'm stepping out of the way first let's talk about what the misconceptions are and what the reality is so the okay let's start with the uh misconceptions i think the the article that came out that had the picture of the all-white lottery applicants for the city um was alarming. I mean, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, but that's not new news. The issue is uh, that 
when the medicinal program started back in 2014, there were um, no black owners in that space. Now, there were a few people who um, black participants who either were investors in some of these companies. So there was some black participation, Mm -hmm. but no ownership, no 51 per not, no any ownership. Black Latino representation. Black or Latino representation. You know, Mm -hmm. so the history there is that a lot of these companies were able to, you know, get um, not only a dispensary. So what that, you know, what we saw in the lottery was for the dispensary, which is the retail arm of Mm -hmm. the cultivation which is usually not in the city but further in downstate or in the suburbs um the peri-urban spaces and rural spaces where people where these companies are growing right uh and since that um in 2014 a lot of those companies have been able to become um multi uh uh, what do you call them? Multi-state operators. You know, so the industry definitely changed a lot. Um, I guess this is a little bit off. There you go. There you go. Um, I can't even get this <laughs> to stand up right. There, there we go. There it is. Technology. Technology. So um, that that was the case of the bill uh, then. So the the um, and this was under Bruce Rauner, right? Um, well, actually, it was under Quinn. Then we elected Bruce Rauner. The program didn't go anywhere. He was not a proponent of legalizing cannabis. But in that interim, California, of course, went wreck. Colorado. Well, Colorado, well, right. Colorado was one of the first. Right. Then Oregon and then California. California was the big one mm-hmm. that changed the game. So I'm, so that, that's the genesis of, like, what the problem was is that you had um, – no, well, what we you know already know is this, these are facts that we're dealing with in this country of the huge waste, racial wealth gap, and you see it played out <laughs> in these kind of new industries that are built up. It's like, well, where are you going to raise that first capital to get into a space? Right. Usually, family and friends. Right. But if you got five family and friends, and you can raise ten million dollars. You know, you always going to be at an advantage. Yeah, I wish uh, I had and that is like that. exactly, right? So that's that's America though. Can you see my face? I'm running through my mind. <laughs> Who do I know that I could get 10 million dollars from? Right. Oh, I mean not even just yourself, you know, one yeah. person. It could be five people and everybody's putting up two. Right. You right. know, right. in our community we just don't have that depth. I mean, you talk about black wealth in this city, you probably can name down there everybody you think who got that kind of bread. <laughs> You know, that's got, <laughs> right, 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 you know what I mean? That's right. got, you know, 25, worth 25, $30 million or something like that. Is is this a case of redlining in a way with the dispensaries? I mean. So let me, let me finish because it's, okay. it's not just, so that's, that's part of it, you okay. know, so that's the history of it. I think just real quickly, you know, so what happened is, is that, you know, we elected a new governor, mm-hmm. J.B. Pritzker's ran on a platform that he was going to legalize cannabis. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> Chicago Normal, um, which were already in the space, they're connected to a larger national normal um, organization. National Organization for Reformation of Marijuana Laws. Correct. Right. I still remember that. Right. So they've been around for been around 30, for 40 years. Yeah. Um, and so the 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 – and then – our groups, other community-based organizations who had been tied to it. So I got involved in the cannabis space because I was part of a, a team that was going to go after a medicinal license 
if they were going to open it up. This is before JB became the um, governor. Mm-hmm. And so I traveled to Denver, so I kind of got a firsthand knowledge, met with her, the cannabis czar right when they were legalizing and heard about a lot of the stuff that they had issues with. And so where we um, basically moved this needle on was that, you know, when Cassidy and Staines, who were the main authors, along with Senator Toy Hutchison and Jahan um, down in Peoria, mm-hmm. Um, and then also I think Kimberly Lightfoot had something to do with it. Sonia, there was a lot of different people trying to massage um, this as a first step for the the, um, the new governor who, of course, was, you know, ran on this platform. This was the first thing he wanted to get done. Right. So, you know, what we ended up passing was a far cry from what it, where it started. <laughs> where it started and what they were talking about wasn't going to, be anything but the problem fundamentally with the bill was that the industry had pretty much given the framework of the bill to the sponsors so they you know and if you don't know about legislation this is how usually it happens is that trade associations groups you know put together a platform for a particular member to introduce Mm -hmm. that's happening every day in the united states congress and every state legislature across this country like when people hear about uh not I look at Alec and then there's Alice, right? Mm-hmm. Those bodies that churn out these, you know, kind of, um, you know, blueprint bills, basically. Right. So what we ended up getting and what people saw in that newspaper was the city then. So we passed the law and then in that law, we included a lot of equity provisions. Right. Right. But the fundamental flaw was that you allow for no new cultivation. So this is the missing, you know, no new cultivation. Center, so you can't build the big ones. So the, the the give back was that we would give you craft grows, which would be from 5,000 square feet to about 14,000 square feet. Okay. Right? But not a cultivation center. So, you know, those cultivation centers are 50,000, 100,000 square feet, and they're running all year round. Now, this is a capital-intensive market that you got to get into. Right. But those are the players that are going to dominate the dispensary space any which way it goes because you control the supply. Right. Right? Right. And you ain't bringing the supply from outside of the state. It's got to be all in state because it's not legal. Right. Yet. Yet. Right. right. Which is a big update yesterday. Yeah, yesterday of, Congress. It, it got out of a, a House committee that, you know, the Judicial Committee pa- uh, committee passed it. So that's very important. So that led up to, you know, then each of the municipalities in the state of Illinois are able to either opt out, create their own zoning rules. But this is the big difference that Illinois has over other states. California did not have, so people were asking, I saw the other day when it was posted, like, well, look at the Oakland model. Look at this model. It's like, we looked at all the models. Right. <laughs> and what we attempted to do in this first draft, you know, in terms of uh, codifying in, in the legislature is to be able to make sure that, the, that these things were in the actual laws of how it was written. Right. So what you saw the other day was the beginning stages of allowing the, the pass through in a sense. So these companies that already had a dispensary could apply, right, to sell come January 1 because they're already selling medicinal. You got to have a medical card. Right. But they would be able to s- supply the need come January 1 for recreational customers. That was. And so for that, you know, that easy, that uh, advanced access, they had to pay thirty thousand dollars. And and three percent, right? Right. For their application, three percent of their sales would go back to this cannabis business development fund that was created. 
Okay. That will be managed by Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Now, that's kind of what, you know, <laughs> the big picture, picture is around, like, what you saw last week. So the city then came up with a way and said, okay, we're going to put come up with these zones. So many licenses would be in each zone. How do you know? And so from the onset, once this thing got passed, the, the you know, working with the city was to try to create a framework. If we if the advocates would have had their way, it would have been like carve out all the spaces where there's money being made. Right. And put the, S, the social equity applicants who do get a license, they should be over there. Mm. Let them go make the money. Right. That seems simple enough. Well, that's equity. Yeah. I right. mean, well, in my mind, yes. Right. Equinity, so you yeah, don't just, yeah. you know, it's not that we can't have these in our own community, but don't relegate the black owners to, like, they got to do business over in the black community, which is going to have a challenge because the infrastructure is not there. Right. So you can't have all on an empty <laughs> commercial strip and then the weed spot as the viable economic engine in a space without, you know, the kind of most, you know, bigger proper planning. So these are some of the things that, you know, need to happen and are, are happening as this thing is unfolding. When, when we start talking about, does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. But now here we are. Okay. So there, after this article comes out by our good friend, Lolly Bowling. Yes. My people. My peoples. Love Lolly to death. We love, we love you, Lolly. There's no doubt. That's my girl. Every time I see her. <laughs> that's I'm why like, I didn't go hard on the, on the, I was like, well, that's Lolly. <laughs> Lolly Bowling. She's a, she's But a, great a lot of people nurse. didn't read the article. And that's where I'm going to go next. Now, here's the problem. If people would have bothered to read that article, they would have saw what you just explained, that it's not over by any means. There is still the fight is still fight being fought. But people just read the headline and kind of bounced and went or just looked at the picture. And, and weren't because happy. that's you know, this is. But see, this is the issue that we're dealing with is that people want bite sized information. This is a separate issue, but this is impacting the culture and like how it's driving the narrative. So people can overreact without even asking the right questions. Right. Right. So this was not, you know, this was a lot of time. Like, we don't have money to be going up and down the street to Springfield. It's like, we're not getting paid to do that. Everybody's not meeting at the Jewel Grand Bazaar. No, we raised down to Springfield. As a coalition, we raised the modest amount of money that we were able to pull off through a couple foundations of support, mm-hmm. trying to get back and forth. Trying to get the you know the the legwork, a door knocking, the canvassing that had to happen on the south side, on the west side, holding these town hall meetings, right. you know, all of that as it's you know preparing to be passed was part of this trek. What is it that the city isn't doing right when it comes to the idea of the dispensary lottery? So here's the 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 rub. The rub is is that the city wants to make revenue. <laughs> Welcome to Size Matters. I'm Kyle's babysitter, John Petrowski. First off, I'm nearly 40 years older than you, and I don't need a babysitter. You know, in the beginning, I was hired to produce the going-ons of you, Kyle Seismankowski, but now, almost a year later, I realize I'm just a babysitter with a microphone. That's ludicrous, and you're a ludicretion. Ludicretion? That's not a word, dude. It is a word. It means one who is ludicrous 
or one who does lewds. Oh, come on. And I don't need a babysitter. Don't feel bad. I'm the one who is duped. All right, on with the episode, Petrowski, or I'll cuss and speak in ways that make the editing process unbearable. Okay, all right, all right. So this episode was supposed to be our pizza contest special for the Get Sliced event. However, due to poor ticket sales, Get Sliced... I got sliced. (laughs) has been postponed. So this episode is going to be about Kyle's job history. We intended to do this later on in the season, but whatever. It's true. I've had several jobs in my life. Number one, bell ringer at the now defunct Holy Mother Mary of God. I rang the bell in the steeple. Great pay, great view. I loved the job. It was amazing. Number two, Independent cadaver attendant. I once owned a minivan and various funeral homes would hire me to supply universities with cadavers. Wait. Funeral homes provide corpses to universities? Of course. How do you think they get them? Kyle? I would intercept funeral possessions. All right, what's job number three? Job number three. Mattress salesman. That's it? Yeah, that's my job history. And more recently, Ed has given you some responsibility here at the Co-Prosperity Sphere. This is true. Go ahead and tell our listeners what your new gig is all about. I've been hired to manage event ticket sales for all things Lumpin' Radio. Isn't there an event coming up? There was. The Get Sliced Pizza Contest. Right. When, when was that supposed to be? It was postponed, you dumb idiot. Oh, really? Why? Poor ticket sales. Oh, so so you must feel responsible for that. Of course not. All I did was process the payments. Hmm. Did you use a computer? No, I used ink. Really, Kyle? Paper don't crash, bro. Good point. Oh, Ed wanted me to tell you something. What? You're fired. Ed knows I use an abacus. He should understand I can't do sales stuff. So back to cleaning windows, I suppose. Uh, hey, actually, back to Radio Free Bridgeport. Truth be told, I don't do a damn thing around here. This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump is miserable about impeachment. Devin Nunes is named as a possible accomplice in the Ukraine inquiry. Trump loses in court in his attempt to stonewall the House. The FBI is investigating Rudy Giuliani. Trump overrules the Pentagon and disrupts Navy discipline. And Trump claims a woman wouldn't hang his picture at the embassy. So she had to go. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1036, November 21st. The former top Europe and Russia expert at the National Security Council testified that Republicans and Trump have been pushing a Russian-crafted false narrative that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election. Fiona Hill called it a dangerous fraud planted by Russia that plays into Moscow's hands. She added that, quote, it's beyond dispute that Russia was the foreign power that systematically attacked our democratic institutions in 2016. Also, David Holmes, a top aide in the United States Embassy in Kiev, testified that Trump froze security aid for Ukraine because he wanted them to announce an investigation into Joe Biden. The Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Russia, Ukraine, and Eurasia testified that Ukrainian officials asked her staff about the military aid suspension on the same day as Trump's phone call with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. 
Laura Cooper said officials were aware, quote, there was some kind of issue with the aid on July 25th. Cooper added that the military aid was critically important and she had no idea why it was being held up. It is illegal for Trump to withdraw aid that has been approved by Congress. Democrats debated and Pete Buttigieg merged as the consensus winner. The frontrunner in Iowa seemed sure-footed on a night when Joe Biden stumbled again and most candidates trained their fire on Trump instead of on each other. Tulsi Gabbard had the weirdest and weakest performance, spending time denying she was actually a Russian asset. In the wake of extremely damaging testimony given by diplomat Gordon Sundland, Trump claimed it proves, quote, he did absolutely nothing wrong. Trump described Sunland's testimony as fantastic and claimed that I don't know him very well, I have not spoken to him much. In fact, Sunland contributed $1 million to Trump's inaugural committee and has spoken to Trump. The FBI is asked to interview the CIA whistleblower. The FBI is apparently concerned about why the Justice Department declined to investigate the complaint after a criminal referral was sent from the Inspector General. FBI counterintelligence officials are particularly concerned about the claims that Rudy Giuliani, Igor Fruman, and Lev Parnas may have been manipulated by Russian interests. And Trump overruled a decision by the Navy to strip a Navy SEAL accused of murder of his status as a member of the elite force. A military court had acquitted Chief Petty Officer Edward Gallagher of the majority of the war crimes charges he faced. He was convicted of posing for a photo with the man's corpse. The Pentagon pushed back strongly against the move with several high-level officials threatening to resign. In a related story, the Army has increased their protection around Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman and his family following death threats after his damaging testimony in the House against Trump. And Donald Trump Jr.'s new book, Triggered, appeared at the top of the New York Times bestseller list, largely spurred by bulk purchases. It was revealed the Republican National Committee at the direction of Trump spent nearly $100,000 on copies of the book. It is the only book currently on the list to receive such a boost from bulk purchasing. Day 1037, November 22nd. A forthcoming report from the Justice Department's Inspector General said there was no anti-Trump bias of the FBI when it obtained a FISA warrant to look into a Trump campaign advisor. Michael Horowitz's report did find there were errors and omissions in the documents related to wiretapping Carter Page and that a low-level lawyer altered an email used to seek renewal of the wiretap. However, Horowitz concluded the altered document did not impact the validity of the surveillance application. The investigation had been pushed by Trump and his defenders who have claimed he was the victim of bias and further claimed the investigation was the result of the Steele dossier. Horowitz, in fact, found the FBI had enough evidence for opening the investigation that Joseph Misfood, a Russian-linked professor who told a Trump campaign official that Russia had damaging information on Hillary Clinton, was not an FBI informant and that none of the evidence used to open the investigation came from the so-called Steele dossier. In a 53-minute rant on Fox and Friends, Trump continued to lie about the impeachment witnesses and Ukraine's non-existent relationship to the 2016 election. Trump claimed falsely that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 presidential election and called the details in the whistleblower complaint fake. Trump then accused David Holmes, who was the political counselor to the American ambassador, of fabricating a phone call between Trump and Gordon Sunland, saying, quote, I guarantee you that never took place. In fact, Sunland has corroborated Holmes' account in his own testimony. Trump then accused Marie Yovanovitch of refusing to hang his photo in the Ukrainian embassy. In an evidence-free rant, Trump claimed she wouldn't hang it. It took like a year and a half, two years to get the picture up. Yovanovitch responded and said the embassy hung photos of Trump, Pence, and the Secretary of State as soon as they arrived from Washington, D.C. Trump finally accused the Obama administration of spying on his campaign, claiming that, quote, they were spying on my campaign and it went right to the top and everybody knows it and now we're going to find out they tried to overthrow the presidency. It is unclear how Obama, who was out of office, tried to overthrow anything. 
Trump wants to remove some impeachment witnesses from their White House posts ahead of schedule. Some staffers, including Vindman and Tim Morrison, are on loan to the White House from other agencies. Trump wants Vindman and Taylor fired immediately despite advisors warning him that firing them could be viewed as an act of retaliation. Day 1038, November 23rd. White House officials and Senate Republicans agreed a full trial should be conducted if the House impeaches Trump. White House aides want to limit that trial to about two weeks as a way of showing a commitment to due process. Trump, however, is miserable about the ongoing impeachment and has repeatedly asked Mitch McConnell to dismiss the proceedings outright. Giuliani and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had a phone call to discuss Giuliani's packet of unproven allegations about Joe Biden and the former ambassador to Ukraine, Yovanovitch. Giuliani handed over a packet of material which included clippings from far-right blogs and websites and various conspiracy-latent theories to the State Department on March 28th. He then spoke with Mike Pompeo at least twice. Yovanovitch was recalled from her post two weeks later. Trump met privately with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg for an undisclosed dinner at the White House. Trump and Zuckerberg have dined together twice in less than a month. Facebook board member Peter Thiel also attended the dinner. It is unclear what Trump, Zuckerberg, and Thiel discussed and why the dinner was not made public. And the Secret Service spent more than $250,000 at Trump's private businesses over the last quarter. Trump's company has received an average of nearly $2,000 a day from the Secret Service. Day 1039, November 24th. Devin Nunes, who is the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, is alleged to have met with a former Ukrainian prosecutor last year to get dirt on Joe Biden. The revelation makes Nunes one of Trump's fiercest defenders in the impeachment inquiry a potential accomplice. The claims about Nunes came from Lev Parnas, who is an associate of Giuliani, who is also indicted on charges that he broke campaign finance law. Nunes and three of his aides traveled to Europe from November 30th to December 3rd in 2018, with 10 meetings arranged by Parnas. Nunes called the reports that he met with them as part of a criminal campaign against him by a, quote, totally corrupt news media. Nunes also threatened to sue news outlets, claiming, quote, they're likely conspiring to obstruct justice. We'll wait for that subpoena. In a response, the House Ethics Chairman said Nunes will face an investigation, and it was revealed that Parnas gave audio recordings, videos, and photos of Trump and Giuliani to the House Intelligence Committee. Parnas has been cooperating with House investigators. Emails show Trump's aides scramble to come up with an after-the-fact justification for the decision to withhold nearly $400 million in military aid from Ukraine. A confidential review by the White House Counsel's Office revealed hundreds of documents debating if that action was legal. The review found that Trump made the decision to hold the aid without an assessment of reasoning or legal justification. And one of the world's richest men has formally launched a Democratic bid for president. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg announced his candidacy claiming he is uniquely positioned to defeat Trump. Bloomberg has booked a $30 million ad buy to blanket key primary states next week. Bloomberg, who is a centrist, made the move after seeing Biden's candidacy stutter. Day 1040, November 25th. The FBI is investigating Trump lawyers Rudy Giuliani and his associates for money laundering, obstruction of justice, and campaign finance violations. The FBI has recently sent subpoenas to multiple associates of Giuliani and to Giuliani himself. Prosecutors also sent subpoenas to Ballard Partners, a lobbying firm run by Brian Ballard, who is a top Trump fundraiser. Giuliani has denied he has been contacted by prosecutors and denied wrongdoing. A judge ruled that former White House counsel Don McGahn must testify before the House. The judge said that senior presidential aides must comply with congressional subpoenas and called Trump's claims to the contrary fiction. It was another major victory for House Democrats in their fight against Trump's stonewalling. The judge wrote, quote, presidents are not kings. 
Trump ordered Defense Secretary Mark Esper to allow a Navy SEAL accused of war crimes to retire without losing his elite status. Trump reportedly gave Esper a direct order to drop disciplinary action against Chief Petty Officer Eddie Gallagher, who was accused of war crimes. Esper also fired the Navy Secretary over the handling of the case. Richard Spencer was fired after Esper learned that Spencer was privately negotiating a deal with the White House to let Gallagher retire as a SEAL if they didn't interfere with the Navy's internal review board. Esper and Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley had raised concerns after Trump tweeted, quote, the Navy will not be taking away Gallagher's trident pin. Trump then claimed he was sticking up for warriors, not traitors. Quote, you have a Chelsea Manning who stole classified information and did many, many things that were not good and gets pardoned or whatever happened. Manning, in fact, was not pardoned and is currently incarcerated. Trump also claimed that Bo Bergdahl got a slap on the wrist and they want to put these warriors in jail for 25 years. Bergdahl spent five years as a hostage of the Taliban. He was court-martialed and it resulted in a dishonorable discharge and reduction in rank. Day 1041, November 26th, Adam Schiff said the panels leading the impeachment probe will send a report to the House Judiciary Committee after lawmakers come back from break on December 3rd. Chairman Jerry Nadler also invited the White House to question witnesses. The House Intelligence Committee is expected to release its report soon after Congress returns. That report will detail how the White House refused to cooperate with the inquiry and warrants an additional article of impeachment against Trump. The federal judge has ruled that the Department of Defense and the OMB must turn over documents related to Trump's decision to withhold aid from Ukraine. The judge ordered OMB and the DOD to comply with a Freedom of Information Act request for 211 pages of records, including communications between the Pentagon, the Pentagon's Comptroller, and the OMB. The Center for Public Integrity had sued for the release of those records. Charles Cooper, the attorney who represents former National Security Advisor John Bolton and Deputy Charles Kupperman, argued that a ruling that found former White House counsel Don McGahn must comply with the subpoena does not apply to national security officials. Kupperman is continuing to pursue his own lawsuit to seek an authoritative and binding judicial ruling on whether to comply with a House subpoena or an order from the White House. The House Oversight and Reform Committee sued Attorney General William Barr and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross for refusing to comply with subpoenas related to Trump's efforts to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. Trump, Barr, and Ross claim those materials are protected by executive privilege. The Supreme Court blocked a House subpoena directing Trump's accounting firm to turn over several years' worth of financial documents. The court ordered Trump's lawyers to file a petition by December 5th explaining why they should accept the case. If that petition is denied, the lower court ruling will go into effect. If accepted, the case will likely be heard this term. Meanwhile, the Justice Department asked a judge to pause a ruling that ordered former Trump House counsel Don McGahn to testify. McGahn also asked the order be suspended while his appeals play out. And Trump has put Jared Kushner in charge of overseeing the border wall. Kushner has been trying to convince the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to confiscate private land to get it built. Kushner has told other White House officials he wants at least 400 miles of the wall built before Election Day. Day 1042, November 27th. Trump had been briefed on a whistleblower's complaint about his dealings with Ukraine when he unfroze military aid for that country. Lawyers from the White House Counsel's Office told Trump in August about the complaint. That revelation could shed light on his decision in early September to release nearly $400 million in security assistance and his denial to Gordon Sunland around the same time that there was no quid pro quo with Kiev. Two officials of the White House Office of Management and Budget resigned rather than carry out the withholding of aid. Mark Sandy told House investigators that one of the former OMB officials, quote, expressed some frustrations about not understanding the reason for the hold before stepping down. The second official, working in the legal division, offered a dissenting opinion over the legality and then resigned. 
Trump claimed he did not direct Giuliani to go to Ukraine to dig up dirt on Joe Biden. Quote, no, I didn't direct him, but he is a warrior. He is a warrior. Giuliani has said he went to Ukraine on Trump's behalf to conduct an investigation, quote, concerning 2016 on Ukrainian collusion and corruption. When asked exactly what Giuliani was doing in Ukraine then, Trump said, quote, Rudy has other clients other than me. He's done a lot of work in Ukraine over the years. In fact, it does not appear that Rudy Giuliani has any other clients other than Donald Trump at this time. And Trump pardoned two turkeys, bread and butter, as part of a tradition that stretches back to Abraham Lincoln. Trump, however, warned the turkeys that despite their pardon, House Democrats were likely to subpoena them. Support for impeachment remains steady at 52%. Likewise, Trump's approval rating remains around 40%. Happy holidays, everybody. These are the Trump Diaries. Chuck Mertz spoke to author Franny Noodleman about sleep. Noodleman details how military doctors developed techniques of brainwashing that would weaponize both memory and sleep. Sleep studies became instrumental in the development of military science, professional psychiatry, and anti-war activism. Learn more on This Is Hell every Sunday at 10 a.m. Sleep is an act of dissent. Sleep, when used as a protest strategy, is immediately confronted by the state and the police. Sleeping under the stars of capitalism is a threat to capitalists, and they want none of it. But all we want, all veterans with PTSD want, is a good night's sleep. Here to tell us about the radical act of sleeping, Franny Noodleman is author of Fighting Sleep, The War for the Mind, and the U.S. Military. Welcome to This Is Hell, Franny. Thank you, Chuck, for having me on the show. Franny is professor in the Department of English Language and Literature at Carleton University in Ottawa, where she teaches U.S. culture and history. You write how you grew up an insomniac in a household of insomniacs, <laughs> where each day began with a discussion of the night from the night before. How did you sleep? <laughs> what time did you wake? Sleeping pill or no? As an adult, I was surprised that not everyone wanted to engage in lengthy conversations about the duration and quality of their sleep. For some people, sleep was no big deal, and this seemed strange to me. And you say that you envied your friends who could take sound sleep for granted, but at the time noticed that they didn't seem to enjoy sleep the way I did. How do you enjoy sleep? To you, what is a good night's sleep? (laughs) Well, um, a good night's sleep is a long night's sleep. Um, It's deep sleep punctuated by less deep sleep. And during the less deep sleep, I'm very aware that I'm sleeping and aware that I'm enjoying it. Um, As you would be aware that you've, you know, just drunk a good glass of wine. Um, I think it's worth saying that people have come around to um, valuing sleep in the past few years. You know, there's so much more discussion of sleep and how important it is um, and how fundamental it is to our well-being. But when I was growing up, my family was a bit of a, they were, you know, outliers in this kind of preoccupation with sleep. Why in the last few years, why do you think suddenly people have become more interested in a good night's sleep? Well, you know, I think that the current craze for sleep and, you know, sort of self-help um, books about sleep and, um, and discussion of, of how important sleep is, is driven in, in really important ways by digital life. You know, we, we don't sleep as much. Um, we hear that a lot. And I think it's true. We don't sleep as much and we don't sleep as well because we spend 
so much time, not only in front of screens, but also interacting. You know, when we're on our phone, when we're on our uh, computers, we're often in dialogue, we're interacting, we're responding. And so a state in which we're quiescent, still and solitary is alien, increasingly alien. So I think that that's really gotten people focused on what sleep means, what the importance of sleep is, um, mostly in individual ways, but, you know, increasingly in terms of our collective life in, in terms of our communal life, what is the value of, of sleep? You write about growing up in San Francisco in the 1960s and your parents' concerns over what we now call wellness extended, however, far beyond our home. During the 1970s, they became anti-nuclear activists and conversation our uh, house turned to apocalypse as often as it did to sleep. And you point out that your dad was a, uh, is a doctor and an early member of Physicians for Social Responsibility. Do you think those grim realities contributed to the lack of sleep you or your parents experienced with insomnia? Because due to the hellish nature and content of the show, I often lose <laughs> sleep considering what I learned from our guests. Is insomnia simply an outcome of the grim realities of our times? Well, yeah. I mean, the book itself is about the troubled sleep of soldiers and veterans um, who are subject to war trauma. And I think that, you know... <laughs> Um, I was not subject to war trauma, but I was subject in casual conversation with my parents and in watching their um, political work, I was subject to knowledge about the realities of war that a lot of teenagers don't have, you know. So my dad would share with me photographs of um, victims of the U.S. bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, photographs that he um, uh, lectured about in his role as an anti-nuclear doctor. Um, so those kinds of things, those conversations with my parents, those images made an impression on me. And I think, yes, they contributed to my, um, my insomnia, my sense that I was living in a world that was doomed. So do you think our growing concern, the public's growing concern over sleep, is an indicator of rising <laughs> grimness of yes. our times? Yes, I do. I think that um, increasingly we share a sense that our world is doomed. Um, that wasn't the case. Uh, well, you know, that maybe it was the case also during the, um, nuclear, the height of the nuclear arms race. Um, but I think, again, we are facing... Um, collective planetary extinction. And more and more of us are thinking about that and talking about that. And yes, I do. I think, um, I think that you're right. And I think the book is sort of um, powered in some sense by this um, current moment in which sleep is tied in both positive and negative ways to this recognition that we're in a lot of trouble. Nicole Amin entertained us in Studio A with a hot set of Motown-inspired soul. Off her forthcoming LP, this is her hit single, Wine Song. It was engineered and mastered by Ari Shellist.
The dream update is live. Yes. They finally rolled it out. They've finally, been the website. The, I mean, the website's been up for construction for a while. It's And it's finally out. It's the first major update to reality since the divisive climate update of 2003, uh, which I ultimately think personally was had, ended up being much better than it was. But at the time, sure. the, the internet was a, a, an outrage. Yeah. I mean, the people that – I mean, it was really split because, the, you know, the first when, – when Dream Update – when the Dreams first came out – People loved them, and then when the update took place, mm-hmm. it was really divisive because you know half the people that made the first ones left. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's mainly a mixture of buffs and nerfs yeah. to the physical act of dreaming. Uh, it's it's basically being described as a major quality of life improvement yeah. for what was previously described as essentially an unfinished feature. Yeah. In the wider scale of it's like you're buffering. Uh, other- it's I mean you're buffering for you know six to twelve hours, right? And and people, you know, dreaming was like it's like it was a nice little mini game essentially, yeah. a nice little distraction. It's like when yeah, when a Google homepage doesn't pop up, you get that nice mini game. It's the same thing as it's what dreams are basically. Yeah, yeah, but this but now, time, yeah, but now it's being apparently been. I haven't slept since it went live. Sure. Um, but tonight I'll be able to figure it out. But essentially it's being described now as just like a full-fledged yeah. entirely virtual um, reality experience. It's a, it's uh, So should we just go through the patch notes? Yeah, please. All right. Uh, these I, are the, I mean, honestly, who's reading the fine details? They just see these amazing pictures, but it's nice to get some real information. Right. And there's a number of other uh, sort of minor bug fixes and other just yeah, sort of – privacy tweaks. things. Yeah, but uh, these are the main ones, uh, the first of which is that REM st- – the REM state uh, will load about 35 percent faster. So uh, your dream onset will be much quicker, which is I think a, a great segue in the sense that like – they're essentially saying, "Hey, we listened to your concerns. Sure. We beefed up this feature. Yeah. Your dreams will there'll be the dreams have been tuned. Sure. So now you can get to them quicker and yeah. you can experience them." Yeah, I don't know what they were doing before, but I mean, now it's going to be faster. They've really gotten rid of some of the some of the fat off that whatever code yeah. that they were using. Uh, it's, it's hard to gauge what what actual the, the language they were using yeah. is. Um, c- celestial, maybe. <laughs> uh, another one. Uh, and this this is this is kind of baffling honestly but i think it'll overall work out for the better for most people which is um nightmare likelihood was lowered by 20 percent amazing yeah but i mean oh but 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 now it scales the chance goes up it scales with cholesterol broadcast every saturday 8 to 9 p.m the Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of wlpn lp chicago the community radio of the future the Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen radio sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.